people that are controlling the narrative from behind the scenes are the people who understand public relations, reputation management, personal branding, psychology, all of that. Welcome to Web Talks, which is just recently rebranded from Web3 Talks to be a little more broad because a lot of stuff is happening in Web3. But my name is Caleb. I'm the host. Uh, I own a marketing agency called Virtual Insanity LLC, uh, where I help people take advantage of the Web3 revolution, which just takes advantage of all of the, the latest and greatest internet technologies that have been coming out, including blockchain, uh, but you know AI, web design, um, and so on and so forth. But uh, more importantly, today I have a guest, Isaac Mashman. I met him through Entra uh, quite a few years ago. And uh, since then, you'll be following each other. I've been seeing his, um, his updates on socials. Isaac is a founder, a podcast host. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And most importantly, a visionary. You know, you have a, a lot of hopes and dreams. You got a lot of different ventures that you've set up. We'll talk about all of that. Um, I want to know all about all that. And, uh, you know, without further ado, how are you doing, Isaac? Kayla, man, honored to be here. Great to have this conversation with you. I have a cup of coffee over here. I'm good to go. And let's get into the conversation. And I, I, I will try not to uh, poke too much fun at Web3 and NFTs in this podcast, all right? Yeah, to be honest with you, I if you do, I, I welcome it. You know, I, I need as much critique on this as possible. And I want to get everybody's thoughts. You know, every time I come on, I always ask people. So. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Isaac, you know, what what is it? Um, I'm like, where do we even begin? Because I know that we're just, we're just going to, be all over the place uh, by the by the time we we uh, we and uh, but where did you get started? You know what, what's your story? Um, you know just in general, what when people ask you that, where do you begin, and how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, of course. Well, I got to promise I won't do the Dana White treatment and get up and leave the room here in a couple of seconds. Um, and that was funny. Recently, I did that on the Howie Mandel podcast. Man, my journey. I want to sum up a couple years in a very short time in a couple minutes okay i'm originally born and raised in jacksonville florida beautiful area I actually suggested you go there at one point too to to see what the city had to offer i think you stayed over there um i come from a single parent home grew up i didn't know my biological father until much later in life i reconnected with him but it was a single parent household my mom worked a lot of these lower level jobs management at fast food but she was a brilliant lady way overqualified for what the work she was doing was large part was raised by my grandparents and you know i never had that traditional happy white picket fence american upbringing which i think the more i tell my story over the years the more i realize a lot of other entrepreneurs share similar stories and so those pain points become your strength but it also the more i tell it the more i realize that yeah i was a part of it but big deal move on accept it and grow but I was an excellent student, straight A entrepreneur or straight A student, pretty much unlike a lot of other entrepreneurs who they shared the story about how they were a horrible student. I wasn't in that category. I was literally being groomed to go to college. My mom was like, hey, I'm not paying for college. My grandfather was a carpenter. He's not paying for college. You know, it's like I didn't have some rich uncle that would put me through. So my idea was in Florida, there's the Bright Future Scholarship, get good grades, get a good SAT and go to college for free. And I was literally one SAT test away from getting a four ride scholarship. I had a 4.44 weighted GPA. Like I was going through it and doing everything I could to get accepted. And I got accepted to colleges. But I looked at my mom who also had a master's degree in business at this time. And I, I love her to death. And I say this out of the most humble respect, but 
I thought to myself, what is the point of going to college if she's not even using the degree that she has access to? And then in addition to that, what would I do? I'd go and get a degree in marketing and branding. I don't know what that would necessarily look like. And I thought I always was easy at, or I found learning information rather, excuse me, to be quite easy. So I was able to look at something and reverse engineer how a person was able to make that happen. And I view marketing in a similar sense with, you know, you look at a successful campaign or a campaign that was unsuccessful, you reverse engineer what happened, what point led to this point, uh, what their brand was like, what tactics they used, etc. And you're able to deduce, you know, the outcome and what steps worked and what steps didn't work. And so Long story short, I decided to jump headfirst into the world of business, started with the clothing line, got involved with network marketing, three different companies, four different times, left the industry because I wanted more control, did music, uh, not as a, an artist by no means. My talent is not aligned with being a rapper. You're not going to see me on the mic, but I was managing musical talent when the pandemic happened. And when the pandemic happened, I basically, I, at the time I was building a record label and one of the artists lost his passion. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't know if I want to, I'm not going to go back home. I'm not going to go back to college. I'm not doing any of that stuff or go to college because I never went in the first place. But I realized that I had a knack for personal branding. And I saw a lot of people working with businesses and doing social media agencies, which there's nothing wrong with that. And the fact that you're looking into going into this undiscovered space, this ever-growing space. I mean, I know OpenAI is just unveiling their new Sora AI, which is creating artificial intelligent uh, videos. So I didn't want to do social media work, but I knew that I could work with the business owner and not the business itself. And, you know, the rest is history. I launched my public relations firm and here we are. Yeah, I was just, I was just writing that down. Just, uh, just saying, I'm not distracted. <laughs> it was, uh, <clears throat> because you, you bring up something um, important, uh, which is um, you mentioned PR as if it's kind of maybe a little bit different from, from marketing or if it's under, um, and I will say, you know, if this is insightful for you, every time I think of, of you, Isaac, I'm just like, oh, yeah, the PR guy. Like, that's just like, you know. So I think that you've done a good job with your positioning in that regard. You know, I, I hope, you know, that that's what you want to be known for. But what is what is PR? Is it different from, from marketing? Is it, is, it, is it in synergy with it? Tell me a little bit about that. It is complementary. So public relations is ultimately the relationship with the public. I mean, if you were to look at what the words mean, the public is the general populace and the relations. You have the relationship just like you and I have a friendship and acquaintanceship. And you have a different relationship with your mom, a different relationship with your dad, a different relationship with your friend, with your business partners, etc. And so public relations is the cautious manipulation. I say manipulation loosely because it can be perceived negatively. And I figure I should address that public relations has traditionally been associated with propaganda, which has its preface with war. You think about World War One, World War Two. you remember the advertisement of Uncle Sam with the big Americana hat saying, we want you for the woman who I forgot her name, but I believe the, the lady actually recently died a couple years ago who had, who was holding up her arm and, and those were war posters, war propaganda. And so public relations is oftentimes associated with that negative connotation when public relations is actually Every single thing that you just mentioned, it is a part of marketing. It is a part of branding. It is a part of reputation management, directing a conversation, getting proper outcomes. So it is not, I wouldn't say it's greater or less than marketing or branding, but it is something that is complementary. And the outcome of public relations and, and what PR is, has to do with how a person or business is being branded. 
if you're branding yourself as a luxury item, you have to manage that relationship with the consumer to where there's this gap of distance and the consumer views your company or views your product or views you as that luxury item, that luxury experience. And the same thing with marketing. If you're marketing a product, you have to, based on how you want your brand to be perceived, will influence the advertisements you run. So, for example, I like to use like the golf tournaments, PGA, for example, they're not sponsored by Bud Light. They're not sponsored by the beer companies. They're sponsored by Crown Royale or the upscale liquors. They're sponsored by Rolex and Mercedes. During the Super Bowl, you're not watching a bunch of Mercedes commercials. You're seeing Chevy, you're seeing Ford, you're seeing GMC, which are all great, but the consumer that is broadly watching might not be the Mercedes type. Now, I'm out of the millions and millions of people who watched it, obviously people could afford the Mercedes. But if you think about that, away from the Super Bowl onto a, a day-to-day basis, you're not going to be running advertisements for a luxury brand like Louis Vuitton on television. And that right there is a perfect representation of how the public views the brand. They view it as out of reach. They view it as something that is exclusive. They view it as something that is luxury. And public relations is also encompassing articles that you're writing. You're influencing the perception. You're influencing how... They view you. They're influencing the buying decisions. And so PR is like this gigantic umbrella, but it's not greater than and it's not less than any of the sorts. I mean, a lot of people view that, oh, should you start with the brand or should you start with the marketing first? You have to do both simultaneously in order to get an effective image because how you build the brand determines how you market and how you want to market determines how you're going to build your brand. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I mean, just in entrepreneurship, you just... The, the people always want to ask and including me like which which one first you just you just start you know and people are like what does that mean you just start you just kind of fill in the 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 um you know the blanks and then uh, the rest follows like they they both work together the marketing and the um with with PR because a lot of people when you say PR they think of just PR stunts um and then the other popular one is um like um you know, just kind of dealing with with uh, news publishers, right? Those are some common ones. When it comes to PR stunts, where does that fit into the mix? You know, when do you when do you use that? Is that for big brands, or is that something that people can consider now? Where does that fit into the whole mix? So, a PR stunt is basically anything that is cautiously done to gain a lot of attention very quickly. So, for example, if McDonald's was to do something with, and, and you could argue that this is or isn't a stunt. I would say that it is. You know, a couple of years ago, they did the meal with Cardi B and Quavo. They've done the Travis Scott meal. Those are all PR campaigns. Not necessarily a stunt. A stunt is different from a campaign. All stunts are campaigns. Not all campaigns are stunts. Right? Man, we're getting into some, some niche things I've never Let's discussed with another person. <laughs> I, I'm aware of. I've studied, but I've never addressed with another person. I love this. So when you think about a PR campaign, you're thinking, okay, you want to either connect with the audience. It could be a combination of these goals. You want to connect with the new audience. You want to make more sales. You want to establish the reputation in a certain direction. Let's say, for example, McDonald's was viewed uh, and and maybe a lot of people who were middle-aged were buying McDonald's and they wanted to appeal to the younger market. Okay, you introduce a, a hot rapper, a hot celebrity to partner with. That is going to attract the younger generation. I mean, think about politics in 2024. You see these presidential candidates teaming up with younger influencers and younger public figures to appeal to a different voter base. That right there is a part of the PR campaign. The presidency and the presidential campaign and any political campaign has a huge backbone around PR. 
you have to think about, okay, if this person says this, and this is perceived in a negative way, you could lose votes. But let's say somebody else per perceives that in a positive light, then that could actually gain votes. And so you have this risk management that is introduced. Now, PR stunt would be something like, I don't know, going and running in a chicken suit and having a bunch of people across the world or across the, the, the states running in a chicken suit and they're going to be representing Popeyes or a bunch of Ronald McDonald clowns where you think about maybe Smile, that horror movie that came out during the Super Bowl last year or the year before, they had a bunch of people sitting in the Super Bowl smiling, very creepy, wearing the t-shirts. That right there would be a PR stuff. Not necessarily a campaign, but would be a PR stuff. So I know that's a lot to digest, but in terms of the average viewer, the average person, the average person listening to this, the entrepreneur who has the startup or the entrepreneur who might have a couple of employees or some independent contractors that they're working with, you don't need to necessarily do a stunt or do an individual campaign, but you need to understand that every single thing that you're doing, every post you're making, every piece of content that you're creating, every single article you're writing or that you're featured in or podcast you're being interviewed on, me right here having this conversation is influencing my personal brand, improving or harming my reputation, and is therefore a part of public relations. So it's not just the traditional news media or getting onto an article like a lot of PR guys online will tell you. People will be like, oh, I'll get you into Forbes and all this other garbage. And that right there is just one very shallow view of what public relations is as an industry. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You, you mentioned risk management and you mentioned a couple other things. I mean, just in general, because... Uh, I'll give you a better scope, right? This this show is for um, corporate people who are interested in newer technology, but also um, I'm really trying to tailor this more towards entrepreneurs who have been doing this for so long that they're just doing this by themselves, but they're now realizing you kind of need a team, right? You can't just you can't just use ChatGPT or you know you can't you can't do it ever you know all on your own. So, in light of that, for that person listening. Um, what are considerations when coming up with a with a PR stunt? Like whether it's um, and you know, let's just say PR campaign, just in, just in general, anything PR um, is legal legal ramifications. Is it um, you know uh, perception of you know you, you mentioned the, the running around with a chicken suit. You know, like if you let's say you know I'll take it a step further. If you run around naked, you know that could give your brand that that could ruin your brand, right? What what are considerations when coming up with PR campaigns slash uh, stunts? More so, let's move away from the idea of calling them a stunt or even a campaign, but rather just the overall, the overarching reputation management, right? Reputation management is as simple as it sounds. It is managing the reputation of an individual or an entity. So when you're launching a startup, you effectively have to give that startup a brand, an image. You have to determine what it stands for, what its associations are, what clientele is it serving again going to the branding and marketing side but to give a great example i'm going to be doing a nonprofit in 2025 or some sort of nonprofit initiative i might not make it a 5013c or whatever the actual steps are because that is something that requires a lot of bandwidth that i'm just not there yet but i am doing some nonprofit initiatives and it's called mashman global now me mentioning this to the podcast let me break down how i would perceive this in my own brain when i'm looking at and working with a client or working with anybody me mentioning Mashman Global on a podcast uncalled for could be perceived as, oh, he's flaunting. He's talking about, oh, this nonprofit to 
make him seem better, right? Now, that might seem Machiavellian or maybe going and breaking down every, oh, this is a narcissistic viewpoint, which a lot of times when you think about building out your personal brand, people are like, oh, man, that's narcissistic. No, you're building your brand so you can help people around you. So where is the intent? That's a different topic. But Mashman Global, if I was to go ahead and I'm coming up with this pledge, so to speak, Mashman Global's one-to-one pledge. And the premise here is for every $1 spent on an international endeavor, an international project, I'm going to be spending $1 in the United States. The nationalist approach with a global concern. But I don't want to just be focusing on international initiatives and we have problems here at home. So it kind of ties in politically. But when I'm coming up with the name for the pledge, I'm thinking, do I want to call it a vow? Do I want to call it a pledge? Do I want to call it a promise? Do I want to call it an oath? And all these different things have different connotations and they have different meanings. They have maybe, maybe they're all tied together, but an oath seems a little bit more spiritual, whereas a pledge seems a little bit more practical, whereas a promise seems a little bit more cliche. And every single, no matter which one I chose, would be influencing the person who hears it for the first time. How would you feel if you heard oath, Mashman Global's one-to-one oath versus Mashman Global's one-to-one pledge? Tell me. Between between which two? Sorry. Between the oath and between the pledge. Which one would... How how would you feel if you heard both of those? With an oath, I would say spiritual or more like a, like an obligation. Like I'm like being sworn into something. And then with the pledge, okay. it, it still feels like kind of an obligation, but it's, it's, a little, it's a little more professional, I would say. Professional, okay. But you see how that decision to choose pledge over oath is an aspect of reputation management because I'm predicting the decision, which is also tying in with building the brand, which is also tied in with how I'm marketing because based on that decision is influencing if you're going to trust the company, trust the profit or trust the, the initiative, if you're going to support the initiative, and if you think that maybe they're trying too hard versus this is legitimate. See what I'm doing there? Yeah. So PR ties directly in with that. So with every single decision you're making with your startup or with your personal brand, because my focus is personal branding and public relations has traditionally been reserved for entities and corporations, Hollywood, but now in 2024, the accessibility has been lowered. So everybody's has PR, you know, at their fingertips. Anybody can submit a press release for free. I mean, there are literal uh, places like if you're running a startup and you want to get at least a, a couple backlinks established, go to prlog.com, openpr.com, pr.com, and you're able to submit a press release for absolutely free. And PR log and open PR, they're, they allow, do follow backlinks, which is tight, PR you have to pay for. But regardless, sending a press release is an aspect to, you know, one of those small tactics, those small strategies that 50 years ago, you would have had a team in place just to submit a fucking press release and now you're able to do it for free that is great that's going to be a great short clip <laughs> um i was actually going to ask if you have any resources or anything that i can point to um that uh, uh that you offer do you have any do you have any free resources um you know from you isaac mashman like on your website yeah, I'm actually working on uh, Mashman Ventures. We recently did a little bit of a restructuring, did away with the retainer, focusing 100% on, on not 100%, but focusing in consulting rather than retainer services. But another aspect of the business is we're building out a training platform. Now, this isn't, we're not some course company. We're not going to, this is not it. We're building this off of the backbone of a consultancy and off of the public relations firm. But 
we do have the Training by Mashman Ventures platform, which is going to be launched very, very soon. We already have it in place. We're relaunching it, so you can access that at mashmanventures.training. And we have various resources, like we have 17 steps to strengthen your personal brand available for free and a few other things. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to share more about that. Maybe by the time this is out, that'll be 100% up and going. Uh, and then other resources would be up on my personal channels. I mean, I'm always talking about things like this. I'm doing some longer form content on my YouTube. Uh, I don't really get into niche specifics, like, for example, public relations steps and strategies. I mean, you might know me as the PR guy, but I'm not wanting to solely be known for that. I'm wanting to be known as Isaac Mashman. Um, but I, I'm always talking about these different aspects. That's awesome. Yeah, if you send me uh, links to all that, I'll, I'll make sure that that's all, you know, that's all the word is spread on that. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you mentioned something earlier about the, I want to kind of take this more in the direction of what are the origins of PR? Because you mentioned that this has kind of been in the hands of, of bigger corporations, you know, for the, for the longest. Right. And I kind of want to get into why, why that is. And, um, it, you know, it seems like, well, let me make this a question. Do you have to have solidified the brand or the image that you think you have for your customers right now before you start considering PR or should that be from the get-go? Yeah, that's um, man, a multifaceted question I absolutely love. And I'll approach it with the philosophical or philosophical approach as well as the practical timeline kind of approach. Now to answer the second question first, talking about when you should consider it, you don't view it as something that is separate. You view it as something that ties all in. Again, viewing it as something that every action you take is building and taking away from your reputation. And so even if you don't have a solidified product or anything else, every interaction you're having, every every single person you're talking to is perceiving you or your business in a specific light. So you are engaging in reputation management without even realizing it. And so you have to go from, from being this unconscious incompetence where you don't even know that you're doing these things that are actually helping you or hurting you every single moment of every single day. I mean, the, the employee at the mall that you're going to Bath and Body Works to buy a candle, that interaction you're having, that person could actually be an artist who could be a client of yours, but because you're not talking to them, you don't know what they're doing. So how would you know? With that right there, asking those questions and getting that information, you're able to have the more information you have, the better your results are going to be because you know the different options that are available to you. Now, viewing that as something that, you, that you're going to be starting at the ground floor with and saying, all right, I understand I might not have all the products in place. I might not have all the answers, but I'm still going to put myself out there. And this is common knowledge. Man. I mean, Gary's talked about this for years, Gary Vanderchuk, and I don't even follow this stuff. But he's been talking about this forever, forever, literally just start. Well, if you just start, just realize that it's okay to pivot and address concerns ahead of time. So you could say, hey, uh, I know that you guys have been following the company for this. Just like you pivoted the show from Web3 Talks to now, you know, just Web Talks, you're introducing a slight pivot and changing a little bit of the direction of the narrative associated with you. So you're directing the, your own personal reputation to the show's brand, okay? So it's not something that you need to do at a specific time. It's not going to be green light, start building your reputation. No. Understand your reputation is being built or hurt with every action you're taking today. Make sense? That absolutely does. Yeah. And okay. I'm with you on now, that. <laughs> good. For the second, for, for the first question answered second, the history of PR. 
there are two different ways to approach this. The philosophical approach, which I talk about a little bit, shameless plug in my book, Personal Branding and Manifesto on Fame and Influence, which I'm working on a second edition of this. But I talk about, and it's a short read, about 55 pages, you've read it. Um, I talk about how personal branding has existed from the beginning of mankind, right? And personal branding is not PR, but every personal brand has a reputation, so PR does matter. Adam and Eve had personal brands. Think about Eve ate the forbidden fruit and then led to the downfall of man because Adam gave in and everything else. So it's a biblical approach, a logical approach, but they had a personal brand. The pharaohs, the chieftains, Genghis Khan, the emperors of China, every single person throughout history had a personal brand. Okay, But in recent years, it's become common knowledge that every single person has access to this. The kings in England use this divine right to maintain control. If you don't, God sent us here to be rulers. And the common man, the blacksmith, said, okay, I'm, I'm with this. The baker said, I'm with this. The peasant, right, said, okay, cool, this is my king. Some kings were loved, some kings were hated. The kings that stayed in power the longest learned how to manage the narrative, learned how to manage their personal brand. It wasn't called personal branding, but that's effectively what they were doing. The term personal branding was coined by Tom Peters in the 90s. Tom Peters was a massive consultant. He wrote an article, I believe the brand known as you, I think that that's the name or something somewhere. It's available for free with one quick Google search, but he used the term personal branding and talked about some of the things that I'm mentioning about how a CEO, what they're doing in their free time, that, that is effectively their personal brand. Now, public relations, the actual term, the practical approach here, was coined by a man named Edward Bernays. In the early 1900s, so I've made a few different videos on this lately because it's so fascinating. He was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. So if you think about the people who are making decisions who have always influenced society, you may or may not know them, but I mean, there are conspiracy theories about the Rothschilds, and there's a reason for that. The people that are controlling the narrative from behind the scenes are the people who understand public relations, reputation management, personal branding, psychology, all of that. So it's no coincidence that, this, that the nephew, Sigmund Freud, was the person who decided to really understand the consequences of actions and have different campaigns. So most notably, women in the early 1900s were not smoking cigarettes. It was considered not ladylike. So what Edward Bernays did when he was hired by a tobacco company was he did a campaign, again, campaign, not a stunt campaign. Stunts are often gimmicky. Campaigns are methodical. And he had a bunch of female celebrities at the time in Hollywood, those early days, go to a, a gala event, had photographers, he had people from the paper, and all of these women were smoking cigarettes. So now the average person, the woman at home, the housewife, saw that and they said, oh, maybe this isn't just a masculine product. You think about those John Wayne, you know, Western characters, they would be the ones smoking cigarettes, not the women. So once it became common that women could also smoke, became this fad, it became this thing. So that right there influenced the decision. Or another one, I'll give one other example. Think about the American breakfast. You go to Denny's, you go to Waffle, and you're like, I want the all-star. They're going to load it up with bread. They're going to load it up with bacon and eggs and sausage and hash browns and everything else. It's not healthy. Not at all. Far from. Even if you made it at home, it wouldn't be healthy. Prior to Edward Bernays' campaign, Americans would oftentimes have a cup of coffee, they would have a bagel, a roll, something very small, something light. But he was hired by a company named the Beach Nut Company. It was a meat packing company. And the goal of this campaign was to make more 
more money to sell more meat. So he had the endorsements of a thousand doctors across the United States basically say having a hearty breakfast is good. Eating bacon is good. You're going to have more reserves. You're going to be stronger. Think about how that has influenced everybody. This was from the 1920s, long time ago, maybe maybe a little bit before. Think about how that influenced now today American obesity. The idea that you have to eat a big breakfast. Being raised, I remember people coming to me and saying, you need to have, you know, uh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, all these other things. But because of this one man's campaign that resulted in more profits, our entire society has shifted. That's public relations. So back in the day, the barrier to entry was more difficult, more expensive, and higher because the forms of media, the vehicles to the masses were different. In 2024, we don't have to lay the radio wires and the telegram lines and TV lines and the satellites and everything else to communicate with one another. We're able to log into the internet that we're paying for, for dirt cheap, and we're able to have this conversation. I'm not in Virginia right now, but I'm talking to you. A hundred years ago, you would have had to run a telephone line from where I'm at, where you're at, to even have a conversation. So the vehicles have changed, hence the barrier entry is lower. That was awesome. That was a really great answer. I, I know I threw you a couple of uh, <clears throat> different questions within that. I'll try not to do that anymore. <laughs> no, that was perfect. I mean, I, I want you to you know share everything that you 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 uh, have on this. And I'm, you know, I was just smiling when you mentioned Edward Bernays because that was literally the whole point of of, of that. Because I think really he is considered in many circles, and uh, I mean, in my perception he's the father of modern marketing really and i think that's why there's a lot of intertwine in modern marketing and in modern pr and there's a lot of th- there's a lot of concepts that kind of are overlaid because the father of everything is is what uh kind of edward bernays what what his influence was on everybody um because everything is really propaganda everybody everybody thinks that the 60s changed everything things changed way before that i mean the 60s just kind of you know added a lot of weird stuff <laughs> but um yeah, well, he no. worked really quick. Um, he worked with the presidency at the time and with World War One and everything. He was a massive part of that. He he advised multiple presidents, and he's considered the father of public relations. So it's interesting you say marketing, but public relations again being in, in tied with that. But then you mentioned sixties around Vietnam, and you think about all the the conversations there. I mean, I think this is also a good time to mention it because there are wars going on right now regarding Ukraine, regarding Israel and Gaza. You have all these different issues and controversies. And depending on where a person stands religiously and politically or with their knowledge, they're making emotional decisions or they're making logical ones and and seeing, oh, wow, this is more complicated than I thought it was. But again, how this entire narrative is played out from an American perspective is being controlled to a large degree and influenced but politicians and media. So I know a lot of people think, oh, this is like the red pill narrative and like everything's corrupt. And if you view it not as corruption and you view it as cautious manipulation, things kind of change a little bit because you realize that you're trying to get a specific outcome. You want the outcome that you want. And that is, you know, to a degree, I mean, if you don't have faith in your rollers and faith in your leaders, then yeah, it's quite Machiavellian and very pessimistic. Uh, but at the same point, unless you're one of those decision makers, there's very little that you can do to change that. And interestingly enough, in Edward Bernays, I don't have a paperback copy of you to get one. In his book, Propaganda, 
he mentions and he starts out very early on in the book and he says basically that society is controlled by the invisible puppet masters and this book came out of the 30s late late 20s i think 28 or 29 and he's talking back then about how all of the decisions and how this group think this group mind he, he mentions group think and this is different than napoleon hill's you know the mastermind this is specifically how when you get a bunch of people together and you can yell fire in a theater everybody's going to think the same and everybody's going couldn't be a fire maybe you just wanted the theater to yourself that right there is a is a form of PR. you're controlling the outcome yeah no i i think that and i i you you touched on a lot of this stuff in your book so i'm glad that you um you you brought it out i have it in my backpack i wish i could I, the second I edition will be something entirely different man this is 55 pages the new one i'm going to lay out every single thing and just what 48 laws of power is to the idea of manipulation and relationships, this will be the personal branding. A very philosophical, I keep mispronouncing that word, but it'll be very good. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Uh, when is that coming out, roughly? Later this year. Fall. Later this year. 2024. I have, I have quite a bit of, of grad work to lay, but um, that'll be coming out in fall. And I'm actually working on a fiction book as well. So I'll have two books coming out this year. Wow. Nice. Uh, where can people follow you to find those updates? I'm everywhere at Isaac Mashman and also my website, of course, IsaacMashman.com. I also recently rolled out, um, uh, well, really websites for all of my different endeavors, but I have Mashman.org, which you can go to, and that's for my other businesses, and you can find all the links there, too. That's that's awesome, yeah, and I'll, I'll make sure to put all that, all that stuff out, but, you know, I, I know I've been asking a lot about uh, PR stuff. I know you mentioned, you know, you don't, you don't want to just be the, the, the PR guy, so, um, you know... I, I wanted to see what your thoughts are on the. Um, I'm like, how can I, how can I throw this in uh, earlier? The uh, the Kanye West. I don't know if you would call that a stunt or uh, you know the ad that he came up with. I thought that that was really interesting. I want to know what your thoughts are as um, you know. <laughs> what do you, what did you think about that? Was that smart? I think he is somebody that is a genius masked mental illness i think a lot of people think that oh he's just he's he, he's kanye they think that he's mentally ill he's in control 100 percent. i mean uh several months ago more than that now almost a year ago when he went on alex jones and he said all those things people would think oh he's this is mentally ill he knew exactly what he was doing and he was doing that on purpose he knew what he was saying which is why any apology would be disingenuous in my opinion so that's why i don't think he's going to give an apology to others rumors that he will and i'm not a kanye fan by no means but this Super Bowl ad, number one, was just a beautiful representation that you're overthinking your production and you're overthinking every single aspect of building out your business and building out your personal brand. Now, obviously, the average person doesn't have $7 million to put. He recorded an ad. He knew, number one, I'm Kanye. Number two, I could do this ad. I'm still going to get on the space. I have the money to do it. Why not do it? And it lines with his brand. And I think that, man, it, was, it worked. It not only went viral on Twitter, viral on social media, because people were like, look at what this guy did. Some people had a negative view, some people had a positive view, but Kanye's never been about controlling what people think about him. It's just Kanye, there's an aura about him that is mysterious, that people like, to where he could be wearing a mask in public, be fully dressed, and people know exactly who that is, because it's Kanye, right? So, ultimately, it was a success, not only because it went viral, but because it cost $7 million, and at the time, I believe within 24 hours, they made $18 million. That's a 100% increase, over 
So it obviously worked, not including lasting customers and everything else. And so, man, I, I love it. And I think, if anything, it probably made a positive change with his brand because of a lot of those controversies. Now people are just going to forget about it because, you know, going in when I was younger in school and everybody was wearing easy shoes and dropping 500 bucks, nobody cared that it was just Kanye West branding. And this was easy. This was luxury. This was nice. And I think that he's on the right path to kind of going back into the spotlight. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy road, but that's not because of necessarily his current actions, but his past actions. And with a lot of censorship and issues, I mean, think about what COVID was. If you mentioned COVID, you would get shut down. And so that introduces an entirely different conversation of ethics and morals, which also aligns with PR. But um, yeah, I'm fine to go whatever direction you'd like to. No, I, I think that it was honestly for me it was it was kind of refreshing to see an ad like that, you know, because you you are expecting all of these really incredibly well done ads that you know they spent so much time and effort into. I mean, he literally just recorded that with, with his phone, um, and all he had to do was pay for the ad space, which I think was six million for thirty seconds. Now um, I've been tracking along; they keep they keep bringing it up every year. It's just it's crazy, but you get that back. You mentioned Gary Vee earlier. I think he uh, a couple of years ago suggested that if you can pay for a Super Bowl ad, it's it's almost a better ROI to put all your money into that as opposed to spreading it out if you have the funds. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You get all these eyeballs like all in one place. Everybody's everybody's hyped up, so I, I think that's great. But um, what what I uh, I was trying to think of uh, where I was going with that. My main thing is I've seen a trend of authenticity and more realness. And, and, and I think people are um, just kind of tired of being sold to, right? And even on YouTube, they're tired of the, the constant um, dopamine hit in terms of they know that, that when people craft these, these videos, they just they don't seem very authentic. As in, it's just, it's just a lot is what I'm trying to say. So with that, I don't know if you have seen a trend of authenticity in all res- in all regards and aspects, and if that influenced the the ad uh, that that Kanye West came out with, because you know you had the Coinbase ad last year too. That was kind of an unediting style as well, where it's like let's reel it back, let's just make it super simple. I thought that was a genius, you know, genius campaign too. But um, what do you think? Uh, you should have seen, you know, like the DVD thing with like the office, you know, like the DVD logo that you, they did that. They did that. And it was just a QR. It was 30 seconds of the QR bouncing around. And that was it. And it was for, it was, a, it was for Coinbase and it was just genius. They, I mean, they, they got um huge return on that because it was just it was creative. It's just like, what, what is this? But you know why that worked with it, right? It's because it had an emotional attachment to everybody's child. So again, it's emotions. If, if it was just in face value and there wasn't any other um a backstory of a backdrop to that it wouldn't it wouldn't have been effective but because it had that emotional attachment i mean sales is 80 percent emotion 20 percent logic so if you think about that that that's why that campaign worked and um yeah, rem- remind me where, where we were going with that though i mean i'm thinking about the campaign i want to check that out um you go talking about authenticity. i have a question but i, I want to hear what you have said yeah okay so so talking about authenticity Number one, I hate the word authenticity because everybody just uses it and nobody defines it. I think authenticity, trying to be authentic means you're going to be inauthentic, ultimately. I think that if you're thinking about authenticity, you're avoiding it. 
And so you just need to do whatever the fuck you want to do, right? Just like I cussed right there. If I didn't cuss, I'd be holding back. Therefore, I'd be inauthentic. I didn't think about it. I just did it. You can bleep it out in the future, right? So every single time you're making those decisions, you're basically saying, I'm going to be authentic or I'm going to be inauthentic. But not many people are programmed like that. What people are sick and tired of is being gaslit. This can be seen politically. This can be seen on social media. People are sick of being treated as stupid. And this is ultimately what social media has done. A lot of people think about the Lamborghini entrepreneurs. They're talking about, I did this, you did not do this. You could be like me, but you're not me. And they're they're appealing to this dark side of emotions, which is ultimately a form of gaslighting. And think about politics. Everything's fine. The world is burning. Everybody's being gaslit. And people are hating that. People are going back. And, and I mean, I, I listen to Andy Frisella quite a bit, love him or hate him. And he talks about how like the pendulum of society is swinging back and forth, and it's swinging to one side, and that side is the American culture, the I'm a human being, you're a human being, leave me alone, I love you, you're, an a, you're a citizen, the sense of nationalism, the sense of pride. It's swinging that way because for so long we've been treated as if we're stupid and we, we're, we can't handle the truth, which is also why you see journalism taking off and individual journalism being, you could consider like Tucker Carlson going over to Moscow, Russia, and interviewing Vladimir Putin. That could be considered a form of authenticity and authentic journalism because he's talking to this individual that is normally highly censored and viewed in one light from an American point of view. And so I think that if the average person is wanting to be authentic with their brand, they don't need to think about that at all. They just need to do something. How do you, how do you, well, actually you, you kind of did answer that. I was going to say, because uh, the, the definition of authenticity, I think changes over time. As in, you know, how do you, how do you employ that? How is that practical for me right now? And like you, like you were saying, um, it's not like Tucker Carlson just took his smartphone and he was like, Hey, like I'm with Vladimir Putin. Like he, he made it a whole production, but it was just the fact that he went out there and he went and talked to Putin because right now it's, it's a little bit, um, uh, I mean, obviously Putin's kind of a controversial guy right now. So it's like, nobody wants to associate with him. It's like, we just, we just. You know, why are we so afraid to talk with him? We need to figure out what's going on over there. So he just went ahead and did that. That's that's seen as authentic. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. And I mean, it, it had 130 million views on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and actually, that that's another PR stunt in and of itself is is Elon Musk literally said to him, hey, if you put it on Twitter, I won't censor it. And that got a lot of attention, too. So that's why he did that. Um, that's not that's not a stunt. Just to correct you, that that, that wouldn't be considered a PR stunt. That would be a a representation of managing the Twitter or the the reputation of Twitter, rather. So he's managing the, or X, whatever you want to call it. That that right there is is more branding, not reputation. But I mean, um, the decision to rebrand from Twitter to X affected the reputation because everybody knows it as Twitter. I mean, I was watching a movie the other day and they mentioned, hey, oh, this is a tweet. This is on Twitter. And now every single time moving forward that you hear that, it's going to be like, oh, now it's not, Twitter doesn't exist. I mean, kids a decade from now aren't going to know that Twitter was a thing. They're going to be like, oh, this is X. But again, managing that reputation, managing the, the noise and, and what's going on. So Elon saying we're not going to censor it is actually improving the reputation of X to a large majority of people because he's living up to the promises he made when he first bought the platform. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like he's he's kind of keeping faithful to that. That promise. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I will say, as, I mean, as you know, like Gen Z, um, everybody just uses PR stunt for everything. And I'm, I'm now realizing 
that that is not everything is a PR stunt. <laughs> I think that that needs to be. So once again, just to define a PR stunt as opposed to uh, you were saying reputation management. Yeah, PR PR stunt would be something that is a single or short lived action that results in a lot of impressions and a lot of press very quickly. So for example, if you were to be at the Super Bowl and run, maybe not, an, I mean, you could you could argue and say like an ad that is, is a one-time deal that's never going to be ran again. It might be considered a little gimmicky, like Tubi, for example. Last year during the Super Bowl, they had the screen, I believe it was Tubi or maybe Peacock. They had it to where it, it almost seemed like you clicked off of the Super Bowl and it was just scrolling for like 15 seconds and then it opened up something and had a loading screen. That was a PR stunt. You could say that would be a PR stunt because it was a creative form of marketing that was a one-time deal that created a lot of buzz, and I don't think they ever played it again. Versus an advertisement or the coin-based thing, for example, that would be a PR stunt as well because it appeals to the emotions with fake it's never used again. And so a PR campaign, a, a, a PR stunt is a PR campaign, but not all PR campaigns are PR stunts. And that's the thing. There, I mean, there's so much uneducation when it comes to PR when it comes to the internet space because you have a lot of these entrepreneurs that give me a bad name because they're like, oh, we can get you in Forbes, we can get you an entrepreneur, we can get you on 300 outlets with what these people are doing is they're writing a press release and getting it distributed to CBS 47 out of Alaska and Fox 33 out of New York, you know, Chattanooga, Tennessee, when anybody can do do a newswire. And so it, it's not really resulting in anything except a bunch of quick, low-level backlinks and it's not even contributing to your reputation in a positive light. And then people are saying we can eat with a Forbes entrepreneur, yet it's unethical because it goes directly against the terms of use. And so now you're technically doing something that is illegal, but nobody knows that. So you're preying on ignorance. And again, so even though the barrier of entry is so low, you have to have some kind of ethics and this some kind of backbone where you're not just going to do something because you can't. You can buy a thousand followers or hundred thousand followers on instagram and buy bots but does that mean that's the right thing to do yeah that, that's interesting um I, I will say that that's kind of a tie-in with my rebranding of virtual insanity because i used to i i can't even tell you what my old tagline was it was not memorable but now it's the internet's a stage you know because william shakespeare says the the world's a stage so you say this a lot in your uh, in your content i want to talk about content in, in just a second as well but um Ethics is a choice, right? This tool could be used for, for good or for bad, what you're talking about. I've seen people uh, pay for, you can do this. You can, overnight, you can become a success if you if you know what you're doing, but is, is it ethical? S success, I mean, it's it's kind of like, you know, the, the product life cycle, you're, you're going up at the beginning, you can almost manufacture that. And people that are very good can manufacture that, but oftentimes it doesn't really it doesn't work to their advantage. You might have a bad reception, make it shut down by a, a, a platform. So ethics um, comes into play there. Um, I don't know if that's kind of the direction of what, what you were talking about or if, if that was that, that's kind of within the scope of what you were talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, let, let me share a, a quick story, anecdote here. A couple of years ago, before I even launched Magic Adventures, I remember I was trying to figure out what business I wanted to do and I was talking to somebody who, was in the social media space and he had like 70,000 followers on Instagram and he, he was talking to me and he's like, Isaac, if you're at a bar and you, you have an account with 100 followers and you share that with the girl versus if you have 100,000 followers and you share it with the girl, who's going home? 
And I remember thinking to myself, man, this is a slimy ass piece of shit, man. I was like, dude, you 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 swung, and I am not your target. I I was raised to appreciate, respect women. Thank you very much. And, but I'm thinking about that because that is manufactured success, manufactured results. And so, where does the line of faking it to make it, of necessarily the avoidance of information, where is that line? Where's the line between unethical and ethical with what do you share and what don't you share? So you could be bankrupt, but you don't necessarily go online and you don't talk about that. But if you're building out your brand, does that necessarily make you unethical because you're not sharing the full story? Or are you only sharing what looks good? Or aspects that are bad, but still control. So the control of information, the control of tactics, where is that line? So you can run advertisements and you could build out your following, or you could pay for a placement. But if you have to pay for pay for a placement, does that mean you're actually credible, or does that just mean you have money and access to be perceived as credible? But then, if you have the money, then clearly you had to do something to make the money initially. So does that give you a degree of credibility and trust there? And so this is a very multi-layered, multifaceted conversation that very few people are willing to go down because then it makes them feel exposed. So the time that I was going and been restructuring Mashman Ventures and we're not performing and we're not doing great, I might not be on social media talking about that, but I'm willing to talk about it in retrospect and be like, man, it there were some difficult times. But that's a part of the story which I can turn into a strength because now I can talk about those times and be like, well, it led me to where we are now. But where is that ethical line of where you're withholding information and where you're sharing or what you're doing versus what you're not doing? Yeah, that that's a <clears throat> I mean, it's not a it's not a linear answer. You know, it's it's it could be use case, use specific. There are some blatantly unethical things, <laughs> but a, a lot of times it is a personal journey. Um, you know, there, there's a I. I Oh, a while ago, I said that there's there's kind of two pieces of making money. There's there's the one is is making people click, you know, in a sense. It's it's a gross oversimplification, right? That's like ninety percent of your effort. It's the it's the perception. What is it that you're gonna get to to get you know um, to get people to click? What are you gonna do um, to get there? And then the second part is are you gonna fulfill it, right? And that's the difference between you and a scammer is is the scammers don't fulfill, right? And that's the second part. So. It's not as linear as that even, right? Because like you said, everything that you talked about was in that was in that first part. So this is something that, you know, the the blanket answer here is I think that there's a lot of unfortunately, we live in a time where there's a lot of newer entrepreneurs in our generation who kind of didn't really get a full scope of of um of bringing up Right. There's a lot of people that don't really have um, uh, much of a backbone and only because they don't they're not willing to take accountability. And that's a that's a huge aspect. Right. Because entrepreneurship is really a self-development journey. So, you know, all that to say, there is no linear answer to, you know, in terms of in terms of ethics. But it is really, um, you know, it's it's up to you to kind of discern that. And there are ways to kind of. or rather, there's rules that you can follow, right? <laughs> like everything that you were you were talking about. I think that that was great. Um, that was a great overview. Um, in terms of how that applies to content and everything that we've been 
talking about, you know, applying the content as we close out here, you know, cause I, I, um, you know, I see we're, we're coming up to the top of the hour. I want to respect your time. Um, and I'm going to have to let you go in just a second as well, but you have been great at putting out content. Every time I go on, um, you know, Facebook, um, I think, um, I, I think I see you on Instagram. Um, I'm trying to remember cause I don't, I don't, I don't go on as much as I, as I used to, but every time I go on, I see you, um, I try to interact with as much of your content as I can. I, I see a lot of your shorts come up. Um, you know, you're doing a great job with, with captions and all that. I wanted to get your advice on, uh, you know, practical advice, applying everything that we just talked about, putting out content, right. And being authentic and just succeeding, right. Cause you know, you, as we talk about success is just kind of, you know, it's not like a, it's not like a straight answer, right? It's, you got to kind of define what your goal is with, you know, how you're trying to succeed. So how, how do people, um, listening gain success in getting their name out there and taking into consideration that all of the, um, all of the things with public relations, uh, yeah, I would say public relations and personal branding, um, and infuse that into kind of, uh, I don't know, a content strategy, if you want to call it for lack of better words. Well, every piece of content that you're producing is effectively influencing your reputation. You're being, okay, so, so let me preface this by saying that content can do one of four things or a combination of all four, a combination of two of these or whatever. It can educate you, it can entertain you, it can motivate or inspire, and it can connect. So every piece of content that I'm producing, I want to at least do two things. So I could do a piece of content on Edward Bernays, which is educational, and it is also can be motivational. If I'm talking about the accessibility we have in 2024 compared to his time, that could also be perceived as educational. If I'm doing and motivational, if I'm doing a piece of content on coffee and sharing a brewing method, which does effectively associate with my personal brand because I'm a coffee addict. That not only is educating them on how to brew a cup of coffee, it's connecting them with my own personal life and what I'm doing behind the scenes. It's the same reason why when you see a behind-the-scenes breakdown of your favorite entrepreneur, Jeff Bezos, you're like, oh my god, wow, because you're seeing a side of them you don't always see. So they're, again, taking that little bit of a mysterious aura and applying it to your own personal brand. That doesn't mean you want to withhold a bunch of information and only talk about business. You need to at least for every... I have what I call Skyline strategy. I'm trying to rush here a little bit because I know we, do, we are coming up on time. We have, for every two pieces of content that are business-related, you do one piece of content that is personal. So if it is affecting your reputation and your specific career, your profession, the way that you make money, that goes underneath the two-to-one business category. Then you do one piece of content that could be a story, anecdote, tutorial, something personal about you. Now, the reason you see a bunch of shorts lately is because shorts and short-form video are performing better than ever. People do have a short attention span. That is common. There is still a great need for long-form video content, but I mean, something great that people aren't taking advantage of. I don't even want to share this, man. I want to keep this to myself, but if you have a long-form YouTube video, you can go directly in app to YouTube and hit remix and take 15 to 60 second clips from a long-form video directly into short form and it automatically uploads on youtube you don't even have to go out and strip it yourself and so yeah you're able to go onto youtube a long form video hit remix and bam i did that to some of my videos they got thousands of views i literally more than a thousand x to my channel in terms of 
just everything. I was looking in the dashboard, up 999%, up 999%. Damn, this is crazy. Doubled my channel because of views. Now, it's the same thing with every social media platform. You are really wanting to be as visible as possible. You want to get, again, eyeballs. So if you're already taking the time to produce a piece of content, what do you want to get maximum distribution? So you would take that same video, you would do TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, etc. And this isn't new stuff. It's just people still don't, don't do it. And people oftentimes haven't done it in the past because it takes time and money to make videos. So what you can do now is you can leverage artificial intelligence, which I'm an advocate for to a degree. I'm not looking forward to when Terminator takes over the world, Sarah Connor, but one day. Um, but until then, I want to use AI to go ahead and, and help me and help my brand. And you know, the people who learn how to understand and use AI are going to replace the people who are actually doing those tasks to begin with. So the person who knows how to edit a video with AI will be more important than the video editor itself. So using tools like Captions AI or other or other places, you're able to get automatic captions, improve the quality of your content, which also improves how long people are watching your video, hence affecting retention rate and affecting how much the algorithm is going to promote you. All algorithms have one common goal, to keep you on the platform. So I would say that if you're looking to create content, leverage a lot of short video, mix it up between business and personal, and understand what people are looking to get from that video. What is the intent behind and not intent in some like cliche, my intention here. No, your intention is to get a result in a certain category. So go out and get it. I love that. That was, that was a great way to end this. Um, you know, I, I'll just, just small anecdote to that. The algorithm knows, you know, it, it's going to know if you're going to put out content that is hitting something with somebody that's resonating. So let the, let the algorithm be your guide. <laughs> um, where can people find your information on, on Mashman Ventures specifically, and who is it for? You can go to mashmanventures.com, M-E-S-H-M-A-N, like mashed potatoes, mashmanventures.com. I'm there. Uh, that's for my public relations firm. You'll be able to see a little bit of a breakdown about what we offer. Again, if you want to work with us, we offer consultation. So it's kind of an all la carte to where if you think that you need a lot of work, you can order three consultations at a time. You have up to two years to redeem those, and you can either work with me directly or another consultant of the firm. Uh, we also have the training platform by Mashman Ventures. I mean, I have a bunch of other personal things I'm working on. We haven't even had the time to talk about Mashman Investments or Mashman Properties or anything else that I'm working on building over the next 24 months, man. So um, I really enjoyed the conversation and thank you again for the invitation, Caleb. Of course. Thank you so much for taking time, Isaac. And, uh, you know, maybe we can have you back if you're interested. Uh, but thank you so much for taking time. And this was an awesome conversation. I'm going to put all your links. Just send me that stuff. I'll remind you. But... Um, and everybody listening, thank you. And we'll see you in the next, uh, in the next episode. Thank you so much, Isaac.